calling all gentle souls, the sensitive, the heart-centered, the helpers and healers, the creatives, the spiritual seekers, and yeah, we've probably got a lot of introverted homebodies up in this crew too. Listen, we've got to talk, because somewhere along the way, a lot of us confused our softness for smallness, but that's about to change. Welcome to Meek Not Weak, a podcast to support your confidence and clarity around the things that matter most. I mean, who says that kindness means diminishing your voice, needs, desires, and big dreams? Who says givers have to give all their power away? And who says a gentle soul can't be the brave captain of their own ship? Let's change the narrative around what it means to be soft-hearted. We're not going to change who we are, but let's be honest, we do need to grow a pair when it really counts. And we can, together. I'm Kimberly Eclipse. I'm so glad you're here. Let's do this. Hey, heads up. This episode was recorded back when the podcast was serving type nines or peacemakers on the Enneagram, but stick around because it's filled with great advice for heart-centered, gentle souls just like you. Now let's dive in. Hi, everybody. Today, I want to welcome Rhonda Farr. Is that how you pronounce your last name? Yes. I get that? Rhonda is here, the Rhonda Farr, who I'll just say a little bit about how I came across Rhonda. So I was on Instagram and I happened to come across an Instagram live where she was speaking about um, her area of expertise. Um, she is an emotions coach. So I wanted to listen in and, and find out what, what is this power behind emotions and how can um emotions serve us and how can we work with our emotions, especially as nine. So I was listening in intensely and she's, you were just a powerhouse on there. Um, I was like, who is this woman? I'm following her right now. Um, I was just blown away by the wisdom you were sharing. So I'm so thrilled to have you on here today um, to talk about, well, a few things, I guess, emotions but also in the context of some of your previous work, and I guess work you still do now, which is um, all about intimacy, particularly in within a marriage, right? Is that right? Yes, yes. Thank you for having me. So when I started doing coaching, I did family counseling in a different life. And then I had four kids. And then I wanted to get back into this world of improvement and self-help. And so I went and got certified as a life coach. So through the life coach school. And so I started with intimacy. So many people were struggling and marriages were struggling and my marriage had been struggling prior to finding this work. And to be fair, it still goes through phases, right? Like there's always work to do. But what happened was as I was helping clients with intimacy, I wasn't afraid to talk about it, which was perfect. Right. But I found out like, you know what, every time we start coaching on these things, it comes down to emotional intimacy and emotional issues. So I kind of went to letting people vent about their physical intimacy and helping some people with those things, right? It's not like we avoid that, but it never, I, I don't want to say never, it was rarely the root cause of their frustrations. So we kind of just got deeper and deeper into the work and I realized emotions are where it's at. If we can understand, be aware, heal, create with our emotions, that is like, it's almost like the secret of life. I feel like it, it really um, accentuates everything we're trying to do. 
That makes makes so much sense. It makes so much sense that we might kind of on the surface look at physical intimacy and try to improve in that area um, without thinking about the the deeper root of it all and where it all comes from. Because I mean, in my mind, I just imagine physical intimacy as kind of an expression of your emotional intimacy. Um, so that that is so awesome. I'll I'll backtrack a little bit because I the reason one of the reasons why I brought you on here is because you are a fellow type nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and this podcast is is for our fellow nines. Um, so I just love the fact that it's a nine a kind of through your lens who's exploring this topic and um, I'm guessing has found some ways that it works for everyone, but I imagine for nines as well, especially with our kind of particular, challenges. So I guess I want to go back a little bit to um, maybe just, can you share a little bit about how you discovered you were a nine and what that felt like and looked like for you when that, when that discovery first happened? Yeah. So I actually didn't know I was a nine until like a year and a half or two years ago. I'm 42 years old, by the way. (laughs) And I'm also married to a nine. You're not 42. You're not 42. I'm 42. So I was around 40 when I figured this out and I'm married to a nine and I didn't know that either. Oh, wow. (laughs) That was interesting. Um, so what happened was, like I said, I had done counseling and I was certified as a life coach and I had this coaching peer, um, one of my coaching sisters who I love dearly. And she's like, you've got to get into the Enneagram stuff, right? Like I'd taken other personality tests. I knew other things, but I just didn't know Enneagram. So anyway, Mm -hmm. she's like, take this test and let me tell you all about it. And so I did, and I was a nine with an eight wing, which is going to be probably important if we talk about my marriage, because I come out as an eight in my marriage. So that has been interesting with my husband, but anyway, um, So she's like, okay, let me tell you what all this means. And I was like, oh, it started making sense, right? Like why I really hate hard things. Everybody hates hard things, right? I just thought that was normal. And I don't think many people are setting out to make their life exceedingly difficult. But as a nine, we know that it's a little bit different. And there are some other things about it um, that I was like, wait, what? Oh, this makes so much sense. So now I'm starting to see it in my clients too. I don't only work with nines, but it's fascinating because we often attract clients who are similar to us. And so Mm -hmm. I have several clients who are nines and yeah, it's just really, really interesting. And it's like pieces started making sense. Pieces of the puzzle started clicking into place, especially in my relationships. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So if you're a nine with a strong eight wing, I'm assuming then you're saying that your husband has a strong one wing. Is that right? I don't even know if I call them strong. You're going to know more about this than I do. But in our marriage, my eight comes out and okay. he is very much nine. <laughs> okay. And it caused some issues. It caused, we had some things that we really needed to work through because of that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So I have to, I have to say, so I love when I hear people speak about their marriage and like, you can just see the love in their in their eyes and you can hear it in their tone. And, um, you know, you see on social media when everyone is celebrating, it's their anniversary or shout outs to my hubby, what, you know, whatever it is. I love to see that, but coming into this talk with you, I also have to bring in this other perspective from 
the, the wife who might scroll through and say, that's beautiful, but marriage is so hard and it feels so hard for me. So it's kind of like mixed feelings when you see the joy and, and maybe even ease in some people's marriages. But then you, you think about the hardships in your own. And it's just this question of, okay, what is there something wrong? I think social media like really plays this up. And I don't even know that this was as much of an issue before social media got big. Um, but just this feeling that marriage feels hard. And so, yes, yeah, so I'm speaking, this is the voice of all the spouses, men and women out there who feel like, okay, this is harder and more complex, I'll say, than what I thought when I first got married, got married more, more so than um, what I expected. When I got married, I was 30 years old. And I felt at the time that I was pretty, you know, self-aware. Um, I felt at the time, like I had a certain level of emotional maturity and like emotional intelligence. Um, obviously I wasn't perfect and I knew that. And yet I still found that, you know, when life throws you these curveballs, you just never know how that's going to affect you personally, how it's going to affect your husband, and then how it's going to affect the relationship. So I guess I want to start off with this question of why is marital intimacy, in, in your opinion, physical and emotional, why does it, why is it harder and more com complex than we often expect it's going to be when we first get married? Tell us, Rhonda, tell us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think the main reason is one of those core things that we don't really see on the surface. And that is we are not taught to feel discomfort. We are not taught to sit with an uncomfortable emotion without trying to resist it or totally indulge in it. Like um, either pretending it's not there or like, oh my gosh, everything's awful. My life is over. Oh, this is so terrible, right? It's just not a skill that we teach. And so two things, <clears throat> we're not really skilled at feeling our own discomfort. So if our spouse comes to us and says something like we don't want to hear, like maybe I'm having thoughts about um, leaving our religion or thoughts about another person or an old relationship, we hate that. So we want to avoid it instead of stay in and hear and understand the other person. And then the second part is, when we speak our truth, we perceive or project that the, our partner is going to be very upset or they're not going to accept us or love us for who we are. Right. And so we can't handle our partner being upset with us or our, our partner being uncomfortable. So then what happens is we have this relationship where neither person is really themselves. Neither person mm -hmm. is self-actualized in the relationship. And we're like, oh, I just, I'm not very happy, but we're walking on eggshells. I know in my own marriage, I'll speak for myself. I was a little more bold. Like I would say certain things, not all the things, but very selective things. And I would be very bold about it. And my husband was constantly like, he wants to avoid the conflict, right? Total nine. Like, I just don't want to deal with it. And I don't want anybody to be uncomfortable. Um, and he thought that was the right way to do it. And he thought it was making me happy. And he thought it was making him happy. So mm -hmm. instead of telling me what was real in his mind, he would think he was always trying to think about how to say the right things. Right. Mm -hmm. And you would think that would make me happy, but it drove me batty because I felt like I never knew him. 
right? Mm. He could never be himself in his mind. And I was having this relationship with a facade. It was so frustrating and I could tell it wasn't real. And then what happened was I started getting resentful because he wouldn't communicate genuinely and authentically. And so I was like, oh, we have this huge divide, right? So I was resentful, but then he felt very unsatisfied as well because he could never be himself. He felt like, right? I didn't say that to him, but he thought I was saying that to him and he felt that. So we have this marriage and I want to be really clear. We had moments of beautiful closeness, right? Like physical intimacy was never a huge issue. That's a place that we connected fairly well. Um, And there were moments where we just, we shared connection, religious beliefs, like we were on point with that. And so there was connection. So we might post something on social media, super happy, but this is what I want your listeners to know. Life is pretty much 50, 50. (laughs) And I don't even want to say social media is a huge lie and it's all a fake. I don't necessarily think that. I just think we're very selective about what we choose. And some of it is a lie, right? Some of it is fake, but we just choose to put our best foot forward. And that's normal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We did that when mm-hmm. we were dating too, right? Like, but that's normal. But I think when we're in these relationships, when we can't handle our own discomfort or we can't handle our spouse being frustrated, angry, sad, mad, whatever, then we also hide who we are. And that is the opposite of connection to ourselves mm-hmm. and to our spouse. Wow. Yeah. So, Okay. Like my palms are sweating right now because I'm like, I feel like I need to go journal right now and pause this interview. <laughs> um, because I think that was an unexpected response that you gave me. I was like, I, I don't know where you're gonna go with this, but um everything that you shared is just is just so on point. And I think that as nines, this not only it sounds like you're saying that this is a human tendency, but I think that for nines, I think this is a real, real common occurrence of, well, you know, like planning, almost planning your emotions or how you're going to express them overly planning. Um, and, and again, how can you be intimate when you're not truly yourself and when your spouse is not interacting with your, your true self? Wow. Okay. Yeah, that is so true. Yeah, for your, and I think, I think maybe some of us have an awareness that like something feels uncomfortable for us. And you're right, we're never really taught how to sit in that discomfort, like what to do with it. Um, And it's such an internal thing. So even if we had um, people in our lives who are models of what a marriage looks like, we might see the behaviors of our parents, for example, or neighbors and friends. And we'll be interpreting it a certain way, but we won't know kind of emotionally what's happening for these people in their marriages. So we have a model for like behaviors, but not a model for how to work with our emotions in within marriage. Um, so that's that's spectacular. And I think that I think that there is this focus on on the self, like this feels so uncomfortable for me. Um, and then we can kind of get stuck there and not really think about the other person's discomfort, or it can be the reverse where we're thinking so much about that other, our spouse's discomfort and not in touch with our, with our own. Um, so it's so, it's so layered. It's so fascinating. 
there are two things about that. If you want to truly be intimate with somebody and truly understand them on the deepest level, that is the skill that we have to perfect. Because if we want to know somebody deeply, we have to be a place where they can come and say who they are and be who they are and be real. (laughs) And, you know, Mm -hmm. a scary thing for us is sometimes like, well, I might not like who they are. Or as a nine, mm-hmm. they might not like who I am. And that's really scary to us. But true, mm-hmm. there's nothing more intimate than saying you can be and show and say who you are. And I will do the same. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't have to say and be and show everything if you don't want to. I don't want to imply that at all. There are certainly mm-hmm. things that you can heal and work on for yourself. But true intimacy is knowing and accepting another person. And by the way, you can know and accept and be intimate with a person and you could also still leave the relationship. I want to be really clear about that. That's not what we're talking Mm -hmm. about today. So I don't want to go into Mm -hmm. super depth with that, but a lot of Mm -hmm. people misinterpret me me saying that to say, oh, you have to tolerate anything and you have to put up with anything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's not true either. Mm -hmm. But so many people aren't willing to know and accept and be known and accepted and- then it causes a breakdown in the marriage without knowing those things. Right. And they, and they leave. If somebody's physically abusing mm-hmm. you or otherwise, of course, you're not going to stick around and say, Hey, let me know you first. I, I want to be really clear about that. Right. But right. true intimacy is achieved when we can handle our own uncomfortable emotions and someone else's. The second thing you said, I think is really important is what we have seen modeled for us. My husband came from a home where they didn't have a lot of opinions and there was a parent in the home that was more like, this is how it's going to be. And kind of told everybody that. Um, and I also, I too had a parent who was a little stronger opinion, but I learned, Oh, I can have my opinion too. Right. And he learned, Oh, we don't dispute and we don't rock the boat, so to speak. Um, Mm -hmm. so for sure, what we learned growing up, it kind of teaches us it's not safe or nobody cares what I have to say. Nobody Mm -hmm. wants to hear what I have to say. And I think many of us nines are like that. And we're just constantly like, we don't even think about what we want to say or do. Just like I said, with my husband, we're constantly thinking about how we should respond to keep the peace. Mm -hmm. And, and then we don't even know what we desire anymore. Right? Like we have no idea what we want. We have no Mm -hmm. idea what's important to us or what we value or and, and that leads to a lot of resentment and depression. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and I feel like, um, we can get ourselves in a spot where we feel like this is so hard. I don't know if I can do this. Do I have to make a decision now about our relationship? And sometimes I, and oftentimes probably I'm going to guess that that happens before the richness of the full intimacy has even happened. So you're almost like your fake self is breaking up with your, your, your fake spouse. (laughs) Sort of. Yeah. I mean, not for everyone, but I would imagine that like, if you are a couple who hasn't done your own inner work individually and as a couple, um, and you're struggling, it's like, is your, is your, are your problems the actual problems or are they to the surface problems. There's a whole other layer there um, that you could possibly um, still work on and discover, you know, like, okay, what are the true causes and roots of the issues here? Uh, But it won't happen, you're saying, unless there is that, that true, that real 
the safety to feel like I can be me and you can be you. And I think that like, in terms of how our parents model marriage, I think even in just the culture of your, of your family, you probably learn, you know, how to make a home or relationship feel emotionally safe. Um, and sometimes you don't have an emotional safe home. So where do you learn how to even create one or that such a place, such a you know, dynamic can even exist on a really deep level? Um, so, wow, it's, it's amazing. It's incredible. Okay. And, and so much of this is like speaking to me as a nine as well. So I really appreciate just the fact that we have you as a nine speaking into, into this topic. Um, so the other thing I wanted to ask you is in your coaching practice, and I'm not sure exactly um, what, who you typically coach these days, if it's like typically women who are married or everyone, I don't know if you want to briefly say that. Um, but my question was, what are the most common blocks, do you think, to reaching that healthy level of, of emotional intimacy? And how do you usually work with people uh, through those blocks? So these days I work with work a lot, with of, other a lot of other coaches and entrepreneurs who are trying to accomplish a big goal, but guess what? Their emotions get in the way, inadequacy, self-doubt, fear. And they're like trying so hard and they keep taking all the correct actions, right? We're working, 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 but they find themselves spinning because they keep getting knocked back down by their own emotional um, discomfort. And then they don't know how to achieve. So that's who I work with about half and half men and women. Um, But one of the things that I see come up a lot is we go through this life and we're picking up these messages, right? So as nines, we do want to kind of keep the peace and we're sort of afraid to make people upset. And we don't really love all of the hustle and bustle. Like most nines are not do, 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 go, go, go constantly. Right. Yeah. Um, which is a big part of growing a business or even growing a family and growing a marriage, right? Like Mm -hmm. staying engaged and working on these issues is a big part of that. So one of the biggest obstacles is simply being able to understand what's going on for you, right? Like most people wake up every day and we wake up and we have the same thoughts and the same feelings day after day after day even if it's a different day. And that's because we get in these emotional patterns, these thought patterns, right? And before we even know, it's like we're a fish in the water. We don't even realize there's water around us. We're just living in it. But when I can take a client and say, hey, this is what's happening. Can you see this pattern? Where might this pattern have started? Or where did you pick up some of this? And we can go in and we can see just with some awareness what's going on. That is the first step of stepping out of the fishbowl, right? And then when we can get some awareness, then we can start to heal those emotional patterns and um, heal some of those things that we learned that we didn't even realize we were learning. The next step is then after we are aware and we start to heal some of that, then I teach my clients how to intentionally create what they want to feel on purpose. If I want to grow a business or a successful marriage, I want to start feeling a lot more love, a lot more gratitude. I want to feel empowered 
right? I want to feel um, motivated. So we teach our clients how to start feeling on purpose. And when you can start feeling on purpose, a lot of nines get, I don't want to say addicted, but they really love this. When they can start to learn to create that feeling of love and gratitude, it's euphoric, right? And so then they go out. What I know is the way you feel will directly impact the way you act in the world. The way you feel will directly impact the way you're interacting with your spouse, the way you're interacting with your business, the way that you handle the telemarketer on the phone or the person who cuts you off in traffic, right? Mm -hmm. But so many of us are just living on autopilot because we have memorized thoughts, feelings. Like we have something like 60,000 thoughts a day, most people. When you wake up in the morning, you check your email, your social media, you make your warm drink or whatever, you're just repeating those same thoughts from yesterday. So true. So true. I've heard someone um, share this. One of my mentors, she, she shared a similar idea about, um, you know, having the same thoughts every day. And I thought to myself, I'm like, no way, you know, there's so much variety in life. How can you be thinking the same things and feeling the same things? But it's, it's really so true. It's like, and it's on autopilot. You don't even realize that the same hangups, same worries, same kind of like, even happy thoughts, angry thoughts, they just repeat every day. And um, like you said, the awareness, just even the awareness of that is really empowering. I really, I want to back up also and say, I love that you work with entrepreneurs because I feel like, you know, I've had my, I've had some, um, you know, I have a background kind of in starting businesses. I've done that in the last few years and it really is such an emotional journey and it's so transformative too. I'm sure, you know, um, and I kind of feel like, well, marriage is that way building a business is that way. It's like that, that's just life. It's so much of it is, is emotional. So I love that you're focusing on that. Um, okay. So you kind of took it step-by-step. So you, you try to help a client become more aware. And then, um, the next step is, um, sorry, what was it that you said? I said healing and there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be like, healing. I don't have like severe trauma. I don't need to heal, but I'm telling you when you try to accomplish a big goal, your old conditioning is going to come up. It's going to challenge everything. Um, I'd love to share an example if it's okay of maybe one thing. Yes, Um, that would be great. Something that I recently discovered in my entrepreneurial journey, which I didn't even realize was affecting me. I knew I had some hiccups about money, right? Like accepting money and people starting to pay me more. And so I'd worked for years on that actually. And um, I was doing a session with another coach. And so we went back to try and like, where did this come from? And she's like, wherever your brain takes me or takes you, just talk to me about it. And I went back to this time. I remember it was Christmas and my brain just threw this memory out of, I wanted this dollhouse so badly. And it was one that had to be put together. So my um, parents had put it at my grandmother's house. And on Christmas morning, we opened a presents and I didn't get the dollhouse, but I knew it was there because my cousins had told me mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was so surprised. And I remember just saying to my dad, like, oh, was there something else? You know, like, cause my cousins had told me because they had been helping. Um, and my dad had a really rough childhood and he worked 
constantly, right? Constantly. And so he took my words to mean, he didn't know that I knew about the dollhouse, that I wasn't grateful that he hadn't given me enough. And I know it triggered his own stuff that he hadn't worked on, right? Because of his childhood. And he was so disappointed that I would ask. So we were at my grandparents' house later and I overheard him telling my aunts and uncles and everybody at the dinner table, like kids these days, like they want more and they're so spoiled. And he was talking about me, right? Mm -hmm. I was mortified. Like I wanted to crawl under a rock. But the message I took from that was, you don't ask for more. You be grateful for exactly what you've got, right? Like you don't dare desire more, especially when you have enough, especially when you've already get, been given something, right? So mm -hmm. I wouldn't call that like a huge trauma. I, I didn't honestly didn't even think about it until this session with this other practitioner came up, but I was like, whoa, that was huge, right? And there were other messages similar to that. And as nines, right, when, when somebody has a strong emotional response to us or confronts us in some way, that feels really scary and really important. And we internalize that, right? Like mm -hmm. we may be holding on to things like that, that we have no idea. I for sure mm -hmm. was, and there are way more than that. But what I would love for your listeners to take away from this is to go back and examine where were the times that I was taught? that we don't ask for more, or I was taught that it wasn't safe to just innocently speak my truth, right? Or ask for something. Mm. That's what I'm talking about when I say heal. Now I have worked with people with severe sexual abuse and things like that. And we do heal those as well. But even if you don't think you need to be healed, you probably do because mm. we all have this inner child that learned these things that picked up these messages that made us who we are. And quite often, I want to say this about the marriage too. What happens is when we're dating, we put on our best selves, right? Like we're all the things of, you know, this is who I am and this is so romantic and it's so great. But then we get into marriage in real life and hard things happen or we want to accomplish more goals. And that's when that inner child starts bubbling up. And quite mm -hmm. often when we're at odds in a marriage, it's because the little children inside of both of us are just coming out to play. And when I say play, I mean like fight and like be mean to each other, like throwing a tantrum. Right. That's usually what's happening as adults when we struggle in our marriage. Wow. Excuse me while I start journaling. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and I, I, I really appreciate this example that you gave because, um, you know, it's kind of vague. What do you mean by heal? But I, I really like that you're kind of bringing it back to these specific instances where we may have been traumatized with, you know, trauma with a capital T or with a lowercase t, um, just these memories that we have, interactions with our parents a lot of times, um, you know, that teach us about the world. And it's so interesting how you can have, you can build your entire philosophy and outlook on money or on sex, you know, based on a couple of things that you may have overheard or seen in childhood. And um, I'm imagining that is hard work though, to kind of like bring up a really specific memory and then try to work. I don't know if I would say like correct it, but understand, maybe it. understand it. You don't understand even have it. to, it, it's painful to bring it up, but I will tell you, some people think you have to spend days and days in therapy. I'm telling you when I figured out this is what it was, it was instant and everything's not instant, but something like this is like, oh, 
I was just the innocent little kid who was super excited. Oh, my dad was just somebody who had a really rough childhood and was giving everything he had to his family. And it triggered something in him that felt like maybe he wasn't like, I could see no anger toward my dad, no frustration, none of that. It was just like, oh, I see what happened with me. I see what happened with him. I see the message that my nine brain internalized at that point and why it was so emotional for me and why it was so emotional for him. I understand it now. And that was just a story that I took that wasn't true, right? Like it was as soon as I mm. understood that, I could mm -hmm. let that go because it really mm. was just seeing it. It's awareness, right? It's both awareness yeah. and healing. Yeah, I just let it yeah. go. That's such a compassionate way of viewing a memory like that. You're understanding it and the empathy involved, I think probably in trying to understand your father and just, um, yeah, just kind of like that, that grace of, I just like the way you phrase that, that you can understand the story you were telling yourself based on that incident. Um, and I like that you kind of, it replaced the word corrected with understanding. That's so, that's just so compassionate. I love that. It feels love compassionate. That. Thank it you. feels amazing. And it feels compassionate to myself. Like somebody, I was telling somebody this story I was using as an example before. They're like, oh, did you talk to your dad about it later? And oh, did you? I'm like, no, I don't have to do that at all. Like, it's just me. This is my relationship with myself. You could, yeah. I don't want to discourage anybody who would like to go talk to somebody about something that that later but for me it just wasn't necessary at all what mm -hmm. what would it serve for me to say hey you really hurt me and for 42 years I have felt like there's just no purpose in my mind for that I love him dearly and I know mm -hmm. everything he did was out of love and he was mm -hmm. so not aware of anything that he was doing and to go back 40 years <laughs> it's not gonna help right but it's that relationship with myself. Now mm. I understand how my mind works, which is understanding mm. that you're a nine, right? Like now I understand why it's not that I'm lazy or it's, it's not that I'm unmotivated. It's not that I can't do hard things. It's, oh, this is the way my brain works. This is the way mm. my personality is. This is the way I was taught. And by the mm. way, I don't want to use it as a crutch either. It's like, now that I understand this about myself, mm. what do I want to do to move forward and still accomplish my goals? Right. Mm. So mm -hmm, it's relationships mm -hmm. with others, but most importantly, it's relationship with self because mm -hmm. I'm the only one I have, honestly, like I have a family mm -hmm. and they love me, but when I want to accomplish my goals, it's on me. Like mm -hmm. I have to have a relationship with myself. So that's mm -hmm. the most important thing that comes out of this work for me. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I think that that's, I would say for myself, maybe for other nines too, I feel like that's the journey for me is how do I be loyal to myself and not betray myself um, by kind of like squashing down emotions or pretending that the problems aren't there? Uh, so I really like that. Wow. And then I guess that brings you to um, the next step in kind of how you help your clients, which would be how would you rather feel? How do you how do you want to feel? Right. What are your goals? What do you want for yourself? Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of my um, cohorts will do that work of how do you want to feel about this instead? And I do think that's important because it is mm -hmm. a story we're telling ourselves. But what I have found when you let that emotion come up, 
and you process through that, um, just let it be there. You learn from it. You understand what that emotion is trying to teach you. I think emotions mm-hmm. come up because they're trying to teach you something like either something's mm-hmm. out of alignment in your environment that you need to take a look at, or you're out of alignment with yourself. And once you hear that, I think the way you think about it changes organically. Like you don't have to try so hard to convince mm-hmm. yourself, to force yourself to believe new thoughts or to believe new stories. Once you understand and hear, you sort of organically start to take on a different view of things that serve you better, which I mm. love because as a nine, right, it's so much easier and it feels so much more natural. Okay. Wow. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Although I am still thinking about people who they are so they're like really self-aware. So they understand those painful stories and can kind of like work through the healing of it. But I, I think like, how do you kind of get to that place though, of really healing and having that compassion so that it naturally and organically breeds this feeling of gratitude and. Okay. You know, that I'll give you step. another example. Um, I don't know specific clients, so I can't speak for all. This is very, very general. And there are some very traumatic things that are not that easy. So I want to be very, very clear on that. But here's Mm -hmm. a general answer to what you're saying. Many times people are like, intellectually, I get it. And I've Mm -hmm. talked about this till I'm blue in the face, but I just can't go there. And if somebody says intellectually, I get it, but I just don't feel it. That's usually an indicator that they just need to process. They need to sit with that emotion. They need to name it. They need to describe it. They need to let it move through them because emotions come with stress hormones and it, it just needs to move through us. That is a big flag for me when I'm doing this work that they just haven't processed, but Mm -hmm. I want to give you an example of what that means. So I want you to think about, you said you have a one-year-old downstairs, right? Mm -hmm. So I want you to think about if you're out on a hike. And let's say that you are accosted by a bear, like a bear comes up with your one-year-old and you're like freaking out. You go into that total fight mode or flight mode and you're scared for your child's life. And let's say the bear doesn't physically get to you, but it's like swiping at you, swiping at your child. Can you just imagine what that's going to feel like that nervous system? Mm -hmm. Let's say that somebody comes along and has a bear whistle or something. You're safe. The bear goes away. I want you to even imagine you've taken your one-year-old back to the car. They're buckled in their car seat. You're in your car, doors shut, and I slide into the passenger seat beside you. And we lock the doors, windows up. You know you're safe, right? But I want you to really imagine like your heart's going and you're like freaking out. That was so close. My child almost died. I could have died, all the things. And I'm like, you are safe. You're going to be like, well, yeah, intellectually, I know that. I'm going to be like, you can drive two miles down the road and you're going to be safe. And you're going to be like, yeah, I know Rhonda, but you're not going to feel it in your body, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to be a wreck in your body. That is because you can intellectually know something. You can intellectually believe something. You can fully wholeheartedly without a doubt, believe it, but you don't always feel it. That is because you need to process those emotions that are still inside Mm -hmm. of you. All those stress hormones, like Mm -hmm. Emotion is just the word we made up to describe what energy feels like when it's on the inside of your body, right? Mm-hmm. As nines, we don't like to do that. We mm-hmm. like to push it away, pretend it's not there, right? Go mm-hmm. on, I'm fine, everything's good. But when we do that, we are keeping those trapped emotions. 
So mm. I would say usually when somebody's like, well, intellectually, I get it and everything's fine and I have a new story, but I still feel terrible. It's because they need to do some emotional work on the mm. energy that is trapped inside their body. Yeah. And that makes so much sense with Enneagram theory of, you know, you have the head types, the heart types, and then the gut triad or the body. And ultimately we are trying to access all those centers of intelligence. And if it's just stuck in the head, in your thoughts, like, oh, I know I'm safe. Technically I'm safe. I'm in this locked car, but my, my heart is still racing. And I haven't even like really had a chance to talk with you about like, oh my God, when I saw that bear, this is what I thought. And this is how I felt. And then this happened, you know, that like actual processing and talking it out of how I felt then. Yeah. It's all still kind of in there as energy, as that nervous energy. So that makes a lot of sense. And I, I've heard like, cause my background is in mental health. So we've talked about CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, and like your thoughts lead to feelings and then actions. Um, but yes, I've heard this example of like, if, if someone scares you, like just comes out from the dark, um, and scares you, your body is reacting before you even had a thought. So like before you even had a thought of like, there's, this could be a person with a weapon and what are they going to do before that even pops into your head, like your body responds first. Um, so I would love to yeah. speak to that for a moment because I think that's reflexes, right? Like when it's a loud noise or we get startled, I think sometimes we get scared like that and people think it's before they have a thought, but it's because they've had the thought so many times it comes so quickly. So for example, like if a two-year-old or let's say a six-month-old, somebody brings up like a black snake that is totally calm or whatever and puts it around, mm -hmm. they're probably not going to have much of a response. They don't know anything about the snake unless they're reading their parents' fear, right? But, or maybe this is a better example. Like we say a two-year-old comes up to um, a crossroads, right? And there's a lot of traffic and the two-year-old's not mm -hmm. going to have much of a thought about it at all. They're just going to be like uh -huh. babbling up. But the right. parent comes up and they're like, ah, stop, hold my hand, blah, blah, please. And they yeah. get that very strong emotional feeling response, right? They freak out. So the child learns very quickly. Oh, car's danger. And let's say one or two more mm -hmm. times that happens, the parent freaks out. Now the two-year-old is a 12-year-old and maybe they go up to a crosswalk and they're like, whoa, wait, like a big truck comes in like, ah, they're startled. And they're going to say, oh, that was reflexive. I didn't even have a thought. I just stopped. But I actually don't always think that's true. I think they have had that strong emotional thought feeling pattern so many times and so strongly from their parents' response that it happens so quickly now that mm. they don't have to take a lot of time to think about it. The brain is so efficient, so efficient. Mm. So let's take my husband, for example, he learned over and over and over that his opinion probably was not going to be honored or valued, right? As a child, mm -hmm. he comes into marriage. He's not like, oh, Rhonda probably won't honor or value my opinion. So I probably won't say it anyway. He's not having that process at all. It's mm -hmm. just a quick, mm -hmm. let me think of what she needs me to say. Cause that's how life works. And that's who I am. And this is my place in a relationship. He's not having a long drawn out thought about it. He's right. Right. It. It's yeah. And it's had, it's been reinforced so many times that it is that instant. Yes. It's like an instant reaction it's become who without the monologue. Yeah. Yes. So wow. I think we can have hmm. actions that there is a thought, but it's so far under the surface. It's so hmm. far down there. 
And that's why my work, that's what I help people do. These are the patterns mm -hmm. that you have that you don't even think about anymore. Where did they come from? And Hey, let's start thinking about those again. Let's mm. start deciding if those still serve you, where they came mm. from, why you adopted them, what was the story around it, and is that what we want to keep doing? So this, I think that it it's awesome and yet so hard for nines. And this kind of brings me to my last question for you. Um, you know, it, because that's that's what we have trouble with. It's that the sloth in terms of our emotional or our spiritual growth. That's the kind of stuff where we're like, well, wait a minute. No, that's what's hard. What's hard is not necessarily just, um, can I get myself to do the, the dishes when I'd rather take a nap? It's the really deep stuff for me anyway, personally. Um, that's what's really hard is going there, going where you're yes. going, where you're, where you're talking about, which is like those automatic, um, autopilot thoughts and responses. So I guess as we're ending here, I'd love for you to talk a little bit um, because you you are a nine, married to a nine. Um, I imagine that going to that place of being true about who you are and how you feel, going back to some of maybe these childhood moments that have really shaped your thoughts and your feelings, that's exactly what is scary and hard for nines, what we're kind of resistant to. Um, so in terms of given that, and given the fact that we're going to be having issues with possibly merging, repressing anger, specifically um, conflict avoidance, and um, just numbing and sloth in general, how, well, this is kind of a two-parter, it's kind of a, a big question. I think you've already spoken to how that would affect marriage and intimacy um, but what do you think then are some baby steps that we can take as nines to just start to work on this at a pace that is not going to totally scare us away so that we don't want to have these conversations ever with ourselves or with our therapist or coach? I think one of the first things you can do is simply just starting to call out what the emotion that you're feeling or you're afraid of feeling really is, right? So mm sometimes we are like, oh, I'm feeling this and it's really terrible. I want to try to resist it. But sometimes we're afraid of feeling an emotion. So we just don't even try. I think that happens a lot mm. for nines. Like if I go all in on this goal, or if I go all in on having this conversation with my spouse, which I know they want to have, but I'm really afraid to have, then I'm going to feel uncomfortable. So just naming it first. I'm sure mm. you've heard that phrase. If you can name it, you can tame it. Or just yes. acknowledge that I'm just yeah. afraid of having a feeling. Literally, the worst thing that can happen to any of us is an unwanted emotion. Mm -hmm. That's the worst thing that can ever happen to any of us. And as a nine, it does feel petrifying, right? But if I'm going to come up or wake up today and say, oh, I've got this podcast interview and I'm really scared and I might say something stupid and uh, then I might just say, oh, man, what am I afraid of? today? What am I afraid of with this podcast? And if I'm being honest with myself, I might just say, oh, I'm feeling vulnerable or I'm afraid of feeling vulnerable. And I might just sit with it. What does vulnerability feel like in my body? I literally will ask myself mm -hmm. that. And for me, it's like, oh, my chest, it just feels like kind of open. It feels a little raw, like mm -hmm. just so uncomfortable. It kind of makes me want to crawl out of my skin or it makes me want to hide. And so I will literally just sit there naming 
describing and feeling. And I might say, oh, okay, why are you here? Why are you showing up? Like, why is this important for me to know this? I don't think he would make me feel this way, like mind and body. I wouldn't feel this way if it weren't something that was delivering a message or trying to teach me something. So vulnerability, what are you trying to teach me? And then I'll just stop and listen. And maybe something would come up that would say like, well, you know, before you said something dumb and people really called you out and that was something you had to process or deal with for a few weeks or just keep your mouth shut so people won't be talking about you behind your back or, you know, whatever. I don't know. I'm making this up as we go because I really wasn't very nervous about this today, but right. Like, and then I'll say, oh, you're trying to keep me safe. You're trying to help me not have repercussions from this, or you're trying to help me not like worry and stew about this for a week and like go over everything I just said in my head for two weeks later. Like, I hear you, you're trying to keep me safe. And I'll sometimes just thank myself. Thank you. Thank you, brain. Thank you, emotions. Thank you for delivering this message. I hear you. But what I know is I actually want to communicate with other people. I actually want to help others overcome what they're going through. If I were in a marriage and this came up and I was going to have a hard conversation, I might say to myself, you know, what are you feeling? Oh, feeling fear. Okay. Describe it. Everything it feels like in my body. Why are you showing up today? Oh, you're here to try and keep me safe because you feel like you might get steamrolled or in the past, nobody's cared what you had to say. And that's really hard to walk away and then add that on top of it. You're trying to keep me safe and comfortable. And then I'll just say, thank you. I hear you, but I'm strong enough to handle this now. And what I really want is a connection with my spouse. So I'm willing to feel this. Even I'm not going to push you away. You can come with me through the conversation, but I'm willing to feel you fear, discomfort, so I can work towards something bigger. Wow. That was oh, uh, mic drop. We, we will end here because that was just so powerful. And I think I have some work to do for myself. Anyone listening to this, especially that, that last part about like just the naming it, um, describing it, feeling it, and then having that compassion, um, you know, at, at the end. Wow. That was awesome. Rhonda, how can people find you if they want more of this wisdom or if they want to work with you? So come on over to Instagram, Rhonda Farr underscore coaching. I think <laughs> maybe we could link that up or something. I think that's yeah. my handle. Um, and check me out. I have some videos about the work that I do. You can go to the bio. You can get to my website. I have a freebie for coaches and entrepreneurs, um, which will probably be updated soon. So hopefully we can get even more good stuff, but that's a good place to start. Sounds good. Thank you so much. This was amazing. You're doing great work in the world. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. You too. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Did you know that when I'm not recording this podcast, I'm a trained counselor turned professional astrologer. I help heart-centered, gentle souls like you get clarity around the hardest questions in life. Whether you want to feel more confident or clear around your career, relationships, or life purpose, learn more or book a reading at KimberlyEclipse.com or find me on Instagram. My handle is at Kimberly.Eclipse. See you there.